I sound like Barry White. I don't know. It's kind of confusing. But I want to turn me up just a little bit because I can't even hear myself. It's money, dude. Verse 7. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just speak to us now. We ask that your spirit would move. You've already been moving. We ask that you would move in our hearts and speak to us through your word. Reveal, reveal today to us exactly what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Put your hands together. Amen. Amen. Earlier this week, um, I was looking for my keys. Couldn't find my keys anywhere. And if you know me, that's nothing new. I'm always losing my keys. I'm losing my phone. I'm losing my wallet. Everything is just completely in disorder when it comes to my personal things. I was looking for my keys, and um, I heard them jingling in the distance. And I just followed the sound, and I followed the sound until I saw Liana with my keys uh, trying to unlock a door. Now, if you know the story of Liana a couple weeks ago walking out of our house and being lost for over an hour, that automatically put me back into a state of fear. What are you doing trying to unlock a door? And she said, I just want to know what these keys go to. She goes, Daddy, what does this key go to? And I'm going to be real honest. I'm like, not going to lie here. I didn't know what that key went to. I remember when I was young, my dad used to have a thick thing of keys. And I always said, I will never be my dad. I will never have a bunch of keys hanging around my pocket, taking up space, keys in there that have been there since 1935, I'm sure. And my dad did not know where they belonged to. And I said, one day, when I get old enough to own my own home, to have my own things, I'm not going to have unnecessary keys on my, on my key ring because just I need to know where they go. Well, here I was. She asked me, where does this key go to? I said, I don't know. She goes, okay, Daddy, what about this key? Wow. Um, I don't know where that one goes either. She went key to key. Asking me, do you know where this key goes and what it unlocks? And I kept, I had, I was just completely confused as to one, why do I have so many keys again? I don't even know where these things go. Obviously, these doors aren't important. So what I did is I grabbed those keys and said, look, I don't know where those keys go, but I can tell you these one, two, three, four keys. What they go to, this, this is the one that says home, that's to the house. See this key right here? That's, that's to the car. 
See this key right here? That's to the mailbox. See this key right here? That's the key to the church. All these other keys, I don't know where they go. She looked at me and she goes, so funny. She says, you need to know what your keys do. She walks away. Like I almost drop kicked it for a second. What do you mean? No, I'm not evil like that. But um, it's just a little feeling that comes inside. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you get this little feeling. You just want to do something and you hold it back. She walked away and she goes, you should know what your keys do. Let me tell you, that resonated with me so heavily because I started thinking about this text that we're in, in Ephesians. This text that offers us the keys to everything that matters about our salvation and about our lives and about what God has done. The, the, the scriptures we're reading today and next week are the key that unlocks salvation, eternity, and, and having unlocked salvation and eternity, it then gives us peace and hope and it gives us it gives us a sense that that we're close to God more than what we probably felt before and I started to think about how many of us don't understand the keys that we hold how many of us don't understand just how important it is to, to understand these verses that we're about to un, unpack because these verses are the key to your salvation as Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, he, he had to write it in a hurry because he didn't, he didn't know if he'd have time to write something significant. He wrote it from a jail cell, and this is the crown jewel of, of all of his writings. But these next three verses are the jewel of that crown. There is not one, I don't think many scholars would argue with me against this, that there is not one group of verses more important in the New Testament outside of the Gospels than these verses. Because they're keys. And most of us are walking around in this life with no keys. No ability to enter into what God has made available to us. Or there are some of you, you have the keys and you don't even know what door they open. So many of you have been in church. You've heard scripture after scripture and sang song after song. And you got a handful of keys that you don't know what they open. You've sat there under preacher and under teacher and you got all this information and yet you're miserable. Yet you don't know if you're saved. You know the book of John says, these things I have written to you so that you may know that you are saved. The Bible is written in a way so that we can have supreme confidence in who we are in Jesus and what he's done for us. You've been handed keys, but do you know what they open? I'm handing you keys in these next two weeks that if you, if you would just realize what they can unlock in your life, your life, you would feel set free. Paul is writing 
to them, and, and he's saying, I got these keys for you, and, and these are important for you to understand. Just like the key that lets you get into your house, just like the key that lets you get into your car, that lets you get into your job, that opens up safes, this key unlocks and gives you access to the truth about how God has saved you and why. When it comes to your salvation, these next three verses, these are the key. When it comes to your peace and security, these are the key. So I want to give these to you because I know as long as you have breath in your lungs, you're going you're to get to a place in your life where you're frustrated, where you're afraid, where you don't know what to do. When life knocks you down, when you have anxiousness and depression, and if you don't know that your keys give you access to the answers to those things. Have you ever seen a scary movie and, and the person is running from the, the monster, the, the attacker, and they get to their front door and it's locked? You ever seen that part where they take out their keys and they're fumbling, oh, which key? And, oh, and, and you know, you get real anxious because you're like, open the door. You have the keys in your hand. Open the door. And, and you can, the music gets real scary. And because you know, oh, they don't know which key. In their anxiousness, in their fear, they have lost the capacity to understand which key opens which door. And, and, the, and the enemy gets closer and closer. Can I tell you that in your life, there is a key in your hand that gives you the, the ability to escape the attacks of the enemy, but you're sitting there at the door unable to find out which key it is. You're wondering, is it money? Is it, is it sex? Is it marriage? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a new car? Is it health? It's none of that. It's what these scriptures try to unlock to us right here, right now. So for all of you who have been running who are scared, who don't have the answers, and you feel like that to you at the door, and you just want to enter this place of peace and hope and assurance, here it is. Oh, I will drop the full weight of this text on you because it is that important. When I went to seminary and my professors taught me this, I sat there for an hour afterwards just trying to understand it. Years and years later, I'm sitting there with Adrian before the sermon, and we're sitting here realizing new things as we talk about it. Years and years of Bible study, and we're just like, what is going on? I'm, this is, wow, it's mind-blowing. This I didn't think of that. We were talking about our professor that we, we both admire, Lewis Sperry Schaefer, and as he was being wheeled out of his last classroom, he said, I still don't understand grace. It's how wonderful it is. It's how good, and it's the key. Come on, say it with me. It's the key. It's the key. Paul is trying to put an end to the confusion about the keys to our salvation. Is this good? Is this okay? I'm sorry if this feels like this is a little, but I'm telling you, you have to get this. Paul is trying to put an end to the confusion. And I promise you, if you clap back and you scream, it's going to go a lot faster because I feel like you can't hear me. So I'm just going to repeat myself because my throat's about to die and I'm still kind of sick. So talk back to me. Tell me that's good. Tell me you heard it. 
Paul is trying to put an end to the confusion about your salvation. And if we're honest, each and every one of us have confusion about it. Paul says in verses 4 through 6, those of you who weren't here last week, and that's all of you because last week it was empty in here. Shame to say, I thought the rapture happened. I was like, ain't no one come to church. Why? Oh, the Astros won. Y'all know, look, all y'all laughing, ha, ha, yeah. Come to church. What's wrong with you? I'm going to give you a quick review for those of you who didn't, weren't here, all of you. Ephesians chapter, look, I think they have it back there. Put up verse 1 real quick. Verse 1. Verse 1. Just Is it up there? Verse 1. Okay. Read, read the first two letters, uh, words with me. And who? You. Listen, I'm talking to you. You with all of your shortcomings. You with all of your mistakes. You with one of the hardest lives you've ever lived. I'm talking to the, to the girl who feels unloved. I'm talking to the guy who is confused and overworked and angry at life. I'm talking to the one who's been abused, the person who's been divorced and left out, the one who feels lost and hopeless, to the one who thinks about suicide. I'm talking to the person in here who feels shame because of the things that you've done, the one whose heart is full of pain because of what people have done to you. Those of you who feel like God has forgotten about you, you feel like a loser, unwanted and abandoned. I am talking to you. Paul is talking to you. He says, and you, all of you, all of us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. And the Bible says that God comes in and he saves us. Verse 4, go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, but God, if there's ever been a but that you want to see in the Bible, here it is. And yeah, I said that. But God. That means that no matter how bad it is, no matter what it is that you're struggling with, there is always a way for God to interject himself into your situation and say, I am here now. I am available. I can save you. But God, no matter how bad it is, God steps in, and this is what he does. He is rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead, even when you were at your worst, I'm talking about dead means there's nothing worse than that. He says, even when you were dead in your transgressions, look what it says here, when you were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. So listen, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you struggle with secretly. I don't care what you wrestle with or what doubt you have. The Bible says at your worst, he still loves you. In the moment where you are doing the thing that you're most ashamed of, the one thing you won't confess to anyone, in that moment, God still has great love for you and he's rich in mercy. And in that moment, he loves you more than he could have ever loved you before. Are you with me? Okay, I hope you're with me because we're reviewing here because you weren't here. I'm just trying to remind you again. You need to come back here next week because next week we're going to end this thing and it's going to be even better. He says, even though you were at your worst, God was at his best when it comes to expressing his love to you. Even when you were dead at the very end of who you could be. Think about that. What does that tell you about God? And the amount of love and forgiveness that he has for you, his great love, overcomes the greatest sins that you have in your life. 
says, so then he, he did three things for you. He, he made you alive together with Christ, and he raised you up in verse 6 with him, and he seated us with him in heavenly places. Those are the three things that he does for us. He, he, he made us alive, gave us life again, put us together and raised us up with him, and sat us in heavenly places. I mean, if he didn't do anything else in our life, that's more than enough. Because our death, the Bible says, separates us from him. And if you notice in those verses, it says he made us alive together, put us with him. We are with him. It says that because of his great love and because of his mercy, he brought you back into relationship with him. Now you're together. That's what he did. That's what he offers you and me, to make us alive. To seat us in heavenly places. But then, that's verse 6. Now, today we're going to go to verse 7. So that. So that. He did all of this. For a reason. You see that? Because I know what you're wrestling with. Why? Why would God do that for me? Why, why does he care about me that much? You're saying that, but it doesn't make sense because I know me. I know the things that I wrestle with. I know the things that happen in my mind. I know the areas of weakness that I have. I know the things that I have done to others. And you don't know the things that have been done to me. So why would he do this for me when I feel so unworthy? Here it is. So that. Here is the revelation of why he did it. So that. In the ages to come, he might show. Okay, we'll stop there. So that in the ages to come, he can show you something. Notice it says ages, not age. Multiple ages. Specifically, the way I believe it, two ages. That's what he's saying here. The ages to come, meaning the full millennial reign of Jesus on this earth and eternity in the new Jerusalem. That's ages, multiple. He says, he did all of this for you so that during those ages, the thousand year reign of Jesus and eternity with God, that gives you the idea of how long this show will last. He says, so that in the ages to come, he might show. Hey, listen, God is out to prove a point. God wants to prove something to you and to me and to other people and to his detractors and to people who don't believe in him. And he wants to prove something to you just as much as he wants to prove to me that for the ages to come, hey, eternity will be a revelation of what God wants to show us over 
and over again. But of what? What's this revelation? What's he going to show you? Over, hey, look, last week, it's so funny. Um, all week I've been watching Astros highlights. I mean, all week. I can't get enough of it at all. And last, yesterday uh, at night, Twitter was just filled with people saying, where were you when? Where were you when, to, you know, this hit happened? Where were you when this happened? Where were you when? And, I, and it was bringing back these memories, and it was making me happy again. And I started watching all the highlights all over again because I, I felt like I needed to re be reminded of how incredible that night was. And I started reading everyone's tweets, and they're like, hey, I can watch this over and over and over and over because it's so good and over again because this is, this is something I want to celebrate. I'll watch it over. Where were you? And this is incredible. Look what God is saying here. He's saying for all of eternity, I'm going to be showing you something. For all of the of, of time to come in the future, this is so good what I want to show you. It's so worthy of being watched over and over again. It's got so much value. It's got so much goodness wrapped in it. I, you won't get tired of it. It's going to encourage you. But what is it, he says, the surpassing riches of my grace. For all eternity, God wants to prove to you just how gracious he is. See, you thought grace only met you at the day that you believed in him, or you think grace only meets you that day when, when you sin or make a mistake. No, this word says that the revelation of grace will be new and more powerful and fresh and overwhelming every day into eternity because grace is so much more than you could ever imagine or think of. You don't have an idea of how good it is. So much so that it's going to take eternity to understand it. The grace of God is more overwhelming than we could ever know. The grace of God is more beautiful than we could ever experience. The grace of God is so powerful and beautiful. If there's one thing that you cannot afford to get wrong, listen to me, don't miss this. If there's one thing that you cannot afford to get wrong, if there's one word in the Bible that you cannot risk misunderstanding, if there is one truth, just one, that you cannot afford to miss, it is the grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because grace is the reason that you're alive today. It's the reason that we're saved. It's the reason you can have hope today in the middle of your struggle. Grace is the reason. We can look trouble in the face and trust that our God is with us. Grace is the reason that some of you are here and not dead and in jail somewhere. Grace is the reason. And listen, if you would just let grace and the grace of God be more than just a word on paper or more than just some word that you hear about in church, if you would allow it to be more than just some theological theory or, 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 or something that would just consume you through some song, God's grace will change you. He's saying God's grace is so good, eternity will not be enough time. Grace is, 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 is a transformer. It'll change you when you believe in it. Grace will, grace will change you in an instant 
It'll change the way you look at life. It'll change the way you look at people. It'll change the way you look at yourself. I think the problem is not that we don't understand God. It's just that we don't understand his grace. And Paul is saying, I am going to introduce you to the reason why God did this whole thing. And that's because he wants to spend eternity showing you just how kind and gracious he really is. He says this, and, and I, I, I didn't think my voice would take me this long. But I'm here, and we're going to keep going. Is that all right? All right. It says, so that in the ages to come, he might show. Turn to the person next to you and say he wants to show you something. He wants to show you something. He wants to show you the surpassing riches of his grace. Now listen, I have to take a minute here. We're not getting past verse 7. Not today. Verse 7 is this beautiful. It says, he might show you the surpassing riches of his grace. I started to think about it. Just like, look, that's what, like to me, the, the word of God is so alive. It just has something that it wants to speak to. I started thinking about these words. The surpassing riches. The surpassing riches of his grace. And I was stuck on a word. Riches. Riches. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to ask you a question and you just respond back to me. Is that okay? Can we have some class participation? All right. Who is Elon Musk? What? Louder. Tesla. What else? What? Billionaire. What? A jerk? I like, I like Elon Musk. He's my guy. That's my dude. That's my dude. I like Elon Musk. Dude's brilliant. Who's Elon Musk? He's a billionaire. The richest man in the world, right? Right? And he owns Tesla and he owns Twitter and he owns a lot of things, right? Okay. Um, who is Bill Gates? Huh? Billionaire. Makes terrible computers. Microsoft. Okay? All right. Who is Steve Jobs? Apple. Right? Apple. Well, wealthy though, right? Super wealthy, billionaire before he passed away, Apple, right? That's what we know, his turtleneck, that's who he is, all right? Who's Mark Zuckerberg? Face, who? Jerk, another one you just don't like. Mark Zuckerberg, super wealthy, meta, the meta world, metaverse, Facebook, right? All right. Isn't it funny that their identity is found in their wealth? Their identity is found in the accumulation of their wealth. Who is Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla? Who is Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple? Who is Bill Gates, Microsoft? Who is Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook? Who is... Jeff Bezos, Amazon. We identify, catch this. We identify these men because of their wealth. What if you've been identifying God wrong this whole time? 
because you don't really understand what he is wealthy in. How have you defined God? When I ask you that question, there's years and years of definitions. What, one of my professors, he's the guy that told me, you're a preacher, you're going to be a pastor. He's, he tells us this every, in every class. The most important thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. Think about it. The most important thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. I'm going to say it again. The most important thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. Maybe the way you've been defining God has been wrong this whole time. Maybe you've been identifying God the wrong way this whole time. Who is God? Let's define him the same way we would define Elon, Jeff, Mark, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Let's define him by his wealth. Who is God? It says it right there. They're surpassing riches. He's rich. But what is he rich in? Say it with me. Grace. What if the way you've seen God is completely wrong because you haven't identified him by what he is wealthy in? What got him where he is at? What makes him who he is? He is grace. He is gracious. He is full of grace. He is overflowing with it. And sometimes I think we don't understand why God would do things for us as the board says that he does because we don't understand that that's just who he is. He can't go outside of who he is. He just is grace. So he has to be gracious. He's overflowing and rich in grace. And maybe your anxiousness because you don't know if, if you can go through this life because of the mistakes that you've made is founded in the fact that you don't trust that God is really that gracious towards you. And maybe the fear that you have in your life and the trouble that you wrestle with is not, it's not about the trouble. It's the fact that you don't identify God as good and kind and gracious because if you did, it would change your life. It says he is, he is wealthy, he's surpassing riches of his grace. Paul talks about his riches in order to reveal him to you. The riches of God reveal who God is to you and to me. Who is he? He's gracious. That means it does not matter what you've done or what you will do tomorrow or how much you will fail next week. He's gracious. And if we would stop defining him as this angry, confused, judgmental, cold God and recognize that his wealth reveals who he is, he's gracious. He's gracious. He's gracious. You may not want to hear that, but he's gracious. It may be confusing, but he's gracious. Listen to what it says. It says, that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness 
toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, I got to hit this and then we'll end. So wake up. Here we go. The, we went backwards. Surpassing riches, right, is surpassing first, then riches. But I wanted you to understand what he's rich in first so that then you can understand surpassing. Because Paul uses this phrase, surpassing riches of, three times in the book of Ephesians. One and 119, one and 319, and one right here. He says this, he is surpassingly rich in grace. Paul stacks one word on another in order to express the greatness of God's grace that is available to you and me as believers. He stacks it. It's like he's writing poetry. He doesn't just give you one word and say, God's gracious. He goes, no, God has surpassing wealth in grace. He wants to create this, this song-like approach to describing the grace of God. He says, he says, it is the surpassing riches of his grace. He said, I need to explain to you just how great this grace is. It's surpassing. It's surpassing. The way it's written in the original language literally means it's extraordinarily, exceedingly surpassing and excelling beyond. It's a lot of words to describe one word. It's extraordinarily, exceedingly surpassing and excelling beyond. Beyond what? Beyond what you think of it. When people come, to, I had a meeting this week with a guy, and he's like, it just doesn't make sense, God's grace. I said, exactly. It's overwhelmingly, exceedingly beyond anything you can excel or think about. The minute grace makes sense, I've failed as a preacher. Make it make sense, I can't. Paul, when, pre when he would preach, people would say, so are you saying then that I can just sin? Because that's what you're saying, that his grace is that good, that even if I sin, because I believed when I was 12, I'm good? People would ask Paul that, and Paul, like, kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying to sin. You know the scripture. He says, am I saying to continue to sin just because grace abounds? No, but I'm just saying that when you do sin, grace abounds. So, no, you shouldn't want to sin, but if you do sin, grace is there. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's what the Bible says. And listen, that's good news because neither one of us, not one person in here is good enough to deserve what God has graciously given us. And so God has given us access to the infinite supply of his grace because every day no matter how good you are no matter how much you try you fail you make a mistake and it says right here that God then meets your failure with even more grace John 1:19 I think we have it up there it says this in John 1:19 it says in each of us we have received this we have received grace upon grace Grace upon grace. It's, it's a visual concept of waves crashing against, against uh, the land. 
that the, the, way, that the way that the waves crash into land is the way that God's grace is unrelenting, always coming, never stopping. That's the grace of God. We have received grace upon grace, meaning our sins are always continually covered by the grace of God. It is surpassingly greater what kind of grace is available to you. What kind of grace is available to me? The kind that far exceeds, goes way beyond the limit you can even dream up. You can't even dream up the kind of grace that God has. Whatever you think it is, it is so much more. A month ago, driving my truck, I was on 99. The light turned on. Ding, you're out of gas. I knew that where I was at, there was no gas stations for miles. Now listen, I'm kind of ghetto. I like to leave my stuff on empty so that I can figure out just how far I can push it. I know that when it dings, I got like about 10 more minutes. Right? 10 more minutes. No one else want to be honest with me? You don't push it to the limit? Or are y'all the kind of people that are blessed? You have your stuff always on full. That ain't me. I'm from the hood. Always on empty. I was like, I got about 10 more minutes. What do you do at that point? Turn off your AC. Open up your windows because it's hot. And you, you, don't push your, you don't push the gas too much. You just keep it steady. So I'm just like, I got it. I got it. Ten minutes go by. I'm like, I have not seen it. I don't, there's not a gas station in sight. And I know I'm coming from Katy on 99, and I got to go over the big turn to go 290 to downtown. And I know I can't get to Bucky's that fast. My truck is about to die. And I had been in this experiment before because this is what I do. And I knew I had about 21 gallons of gas because I've seen it go up higher whenever I pushed it to the limit. But this got really bad. I knew, oh, I'm on fumes now. I could feel it in my foot just kind of giving out. And look, if, if you've ever prayed before in your, in your life, this is the moment where you really pray. I'm praying, Lord, just get me there. Lord, in the name of Jesus, send an angel with a gas cap. Make my over increase like the widow, like the widow of Zarephath and the widow's oil. Lord, in Jesus' name, make it keep coming. Make the oil keep flowing. Keep me going, Lord. And I'm just pushing and pushing. And I finally I see the exit. I'm, I, I think I can coast. But then I realize there's traffic at the exit. I might have to stop and press the gas again. I'm going to die right here in the lane. What am I going to do? And so I come off the ramp, and I get to Mushki Road, and I'm like, okay, I'm here. There's traffic, and I can feel the, the truck, like, telling me. Like, it's coughing. It's dying. It's about, it's sputtering. And I'm like, I'm going to die right here at the U-turn, right before I get to Bucky's. And I start thinking, who's going to help me push the car? What am I going to do? Am I, I'm going to be that dude that everyone's going to be taking a picture of and putting it on Cypress News. Look at this dude. He's out here. He didn't have gas. We had to help him. Poor guy. And I was like, I'm going to be so embarrassed. And I, and, and, and I don't know how, 
But I turned and went up the ramp. I thought it was gonna, I thought it was gonna be strong enough to go up the ramp. I thought I was gonna start going backwards. Went up. And if you know Bucky's, you it's always packed. Beaver nuggets, I mean, all these fresh meats in there, it's incredible. Kalachis. So there ain't no way I'm gonna find a space. Everyone's here. And it was like God parted the Red Seas at Bucky's. Everyone just moved out the way, and I got right to a gas pump, and my car did not turn off. I'm sitting there amazed. I'm like, it's a miracle, Christmas miracle. God did this for me. At that point, you're just like, God magically did something into my car because this has never happened before. And I start, I start thinking about, oh, well, how much, how much space does my tank actually have? So you know what? I'm going to fill up the tank today because I want to see just how many gallons I really have. So I, I, put, a, I put in the gas cap, the little thing, let it go. Don't even look at it. Ten minutes later, I come in, and I'm at 25 gallons. 25. Wait a minute, what? I thought I had like 21, 22. 25? What does this mean? Am I, am I wrong? There was more available than what I thought there was. I thought there was 22 miles, 22 gallons worth. It's 25. When I was on empty, I thought it was over. But I didn't know there was still more. Can I tell you something? about the grace of your God, about the supply of his grace. Can I tell you something to those of you who feel like you're on empty? When you're empty, he's not. When you're empty and you failed and you've struggled and you're at the very end and you feel like I have exhausted all of the grace that I could ever use. He's not done. You might feel that because you're at the very end of where you're at right now that you've exhausted the grace of God, the love of God. You, he is limitless, the Bible says. You cannot dream up what he has. You don't understand how much he has stored away. Let me tell you about the God and his grace that is available for you. It's much greater than you can imagine. It's greater than anything this world could give you. It's greater than any job title or cash you could have in your account. The grace of God. God is always available even when you feel empty. He's not. He's not done. He's got more. There's more left. There's always something left in the tank with God. There's never a moment where you've gone too far. There's never a moment where it's too much. There's never a moment when you've outdone it. Because it's the surpassing riches of his grace. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Worship team, y'all can get up here.
Here's what I'm going to ask you. What, Adrian told me, this is what I always ask my house for. I think it's a great question. What does this teach you about God? How does this change your mindset about this God? What limit have you set on his grace? God's grace can only cover me up to here. God's grace can only meet me up to this place. The Bible says it's surpassingly rich. Overwhelmingly available. The Bible says that there is no way to describe the amount of grace that God has for you and me. No way. It's extraordinarily exceedingly surpassing and excelling beyond the worst of your sins. The worst. So guess who you can call on today when you need some grace? Guess who you can call on today when you need some answers and some help, even though you feel like you've exhausted all of it because you just keep messing up? You can call on God. Because there's no limit you could set on the grace of God. And that's the most beautiful thing I've ever learned from this word. And next week, I promise you, we're going to unpack even more. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the next two weeks. Because I think the Lord will change you and the way you think about him. So I'll ask you again, what do you think about when you think about God? Because the most important thing you can think about is what you think about when you think about God. And this God, he's gracious. And this God, it says, it says, he's kind. He's gracious and he's kind to you and to me. I'm grateful for that. Come on, are you grateful? I'm grateful for that.